Welcome to The Bridgehead with Jonathan Van Maren, bringing you cutting-edge news, commentary, and interviews from the front lines of the culture wars. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead on AM 1380 at 3 o'clock p.m. And I'm really glad you could join us for our second installment in our series on children's literature. And as I mentioned last week, we're doing this series to take a bit of a break over the Christmas holidays uh, to not discuss a lot of the more depressing issues that this show usually focuses on and instead focus on, you know, what's good in art and what's good in culture. And there seems nowhere better to start with that than children's literature. And we got to uh, interview Jean Little of Guelph, Ontario, a very famous author who's written dozens of best-selling children's books last week. And uh, this week, we will be talking to Kit Pearson. Now, Kit Pearson is an author of a lot of brilliant books. Uh, a Handful of Time uh, was a book that I read a number of times growing up. Awake and Dreaming was a book that I was very suspicious of when somebody first recommended it to me, but was another book that I found phenomenal. And then her historical fiction books uh, on uh, children coming over from Britain to Canada, like The Sky is Falling, Looking at the Moon, and When the Lights Come On Again, uh, those books, I felt, were just incredibly well done. She's won the Governor General's Award, the Jeffrey Bilson Award for Historical Fiction, and about a half dozen others. And she is, in my opinion, one of the best children's authors writing today. So to give you just a bit of background on her, uh, she was born in Edmonton, Alberta on April 30, 1947, and she lived there for the first eight years of her life with her parents and her two younger brothers. She remembers a lot about, of course, snowy Canadian winters, and if anyone's lived in Alberta, like I have, you'll recognize that that pretty much dominates winter. And she says that the themes that uh, came up as living like a Canadian kid often show up in her books, because she's drawn extensively uh, from her experience in being able to write those books, which is uh, just like the writing of a lot of other Canadian authors, makes it a lot more familiar to me because I've been to a lot of the places she's describing and they're immediately uh, familiar to me. Uh, she also says that when she was in high school, she got sent to Vancouver to a boarding school for girls. So, of course, uh, this would probably be where her book, The Daring Game, came from, where uh, she actually wrote about a boarding school set in Vancouver. And uh, she became a librarian after university and then began to write children's books. And she's written, as I said, I think, some of the best uh, children's novels out there. Uh, my top two favorites probably still would be A Handful of Time and awake and dreaming. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with author Kit Pearson. To start off, I, I wanted to uh, ask you about something I saw in your biography, because of course one of the things people are interested about with children's authors is what they read when they were a child. Mm -hmm. And uh, you said that one of your favorite books was Emily of New Moon by Ella Montgomery. And the reason it struck me was because Jean Little said uh, that the book that she went back to again and again was Jane of Lantern Hill by Ella Montgomery. What mm -hmm. is it about um, Elle Montgomery's work that seems to have captured <laughs> so many people? Well, I know I know Jean was just as influenced by by Ellen Montgomery as I was. I for for me that particular book was because Emily wanted to be a writer, and I know that book also influenced Jean and Jane Urquhart and um, I think Margaret Atwood and I see so many writers that they actually there was once an article about how we were all influenced by Emily of New Moon <laughs> oh. in a, a magazine called Elm Street Magazine years ago. Um, 
she, but her other books too were influential. She wrote a lot. She wrote about young girls discovering themselves, and I think they were very strong young girls. And you know, Emily wants to be a writer, but the other ones were very interesting and much less insipid than a lot of other heroines in the 50s, I think. So maybe mm. that's part of the appeal. They all—they also were all very attuned to nature and the landscape, and that's always been appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So that—that that was also I, when when I finally went to Prince Edward Island, it was exactly the way she pictured right. it in, in her books. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I found the same thing. Do you find, uh, you know, of course, Canada is, is is a nation that always tries to accentuate a distinctly Canadian culture. We have a, a public broadcaster that uh, focuses very much on Canadian content. At the same time, a lot of uh, writers that I've talked to said, uh, we're just trying to write a good story. We don't consider ourselves, you know, to be a Canadian writer. I'm just a writer who lives in Canada, and therefore I draw off my experience. Do you uh, feel the same way, or do you feel that you're a distinctly Canadian writer in some sense? I think I'm. I would agree with them in that my situations are universal, and my characters and their emotions. Like I try to portray children in, in sort of the middle age of childhood, which is just before adolescence, and I think that's universal. Uh-huh. But I also really consider myself a Canadian writer because I'm very careful to have Canadian settings, and most of my books are set in the past, uh-huh. so they're a certain period in Canadian history. So I. I would say absolutely I'm a Canadian writer. And you do this deliberately? Yes, <laughs> absolutely deliberately. Right. <laughs> Maybe I would feel differently if I wrote in the present. Right. But, but even if I wrote in the present, I, I would be careful. I would be really irritated if a publisher changed the place names or mm-hmm. or the phrases, things like that. And you do this out of, uh, out of uh, you know, a loyalty to Canada or a desire to contribute to Canadian culture and literature? I think I do it because when I grew up, I only read Ellen Montgomery and Farley Mowat, mm-hmm. and that was all. And so I I missed that because I was very interested in setting. So as right. a child, I read a lot of books by Arthur Ransom and longed to go to those places in the books. So when I woke awake and dreaming in particular, I made the setting as real and specific as I could in Victoria and it worked because every year there's now a tour of the cemetery where most of the book takes place, and kids try to find the places in the mm. books. I have and friends who got lost there looking for the gravestone. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. Yes. So, so I do do it very deliberately. I think because I, I am very proud of my country, mm-hmm. and love love my country. Well, and I've I've certainly noticed that as well. You know, reading your books and other more Canadian books, you sort of get the feeling that you know you want to go down this street in Toronto or that one in Vancouver or this one in, in Victoria and see if if the things that were written actually did in fact happen. It's it's more of a merging of fiction and nonfiction to some degree, almost for a Canadian kid reading them. Well, it also makes it more specific. I think publishers are really wrong when they say, oh, we're going to make this universal and not particularly Canadian, because I think the more specific a book is, the more universal it is, because the details make it more real, and then the the reader relates more to it. So when they, I think there was a, I think when they first published Harry Potter in the States, I'm not sure if this is true, but I think I heard that they were going to change the language and make it less British, but Mm -hmm. kids, that's what kids love about it in another country, that it's so specific. Yeah. To England. 
Do you find kids a tough audience to write for? A lot of people sort of draw contrast between adult literature and children's literature. And, of course, the one thing about children's literature is they have no pretensions about them. They won't read something because it's on the bestseller list. No. Um, they're not going to read something because it got recommended by a specific reviewer. They read it because they like it, and if they like it, they might read it 20 times. But there's sort of a, a challenge and a loyalty there. Well, I think you have to write for yourself and not think about the audience because you'll never please every child. Mm -hmm. But I also think they are particularly hard to write for because you're seeing with a kind of double vision. I, I have to take myself back to being like a child and feeling like a child and remembering being a child, but I'm also an adult, and I can't not be an adult, so I have to write in a way that they, as a child reader, understands, but not be condescending and not be didactic. Mm-hmm. But then, in many ways, you can't help being didactic. So it's it's really tricky. It's and, and I haven't yet tried writing for adults, but I imagine in some ways it would be easier. That's what I've always sort of thought of, and especially when you when you draw from your own experience. When you talk about you went to Crofton House School in Vancouver for high school. Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent was the Daring Game based on, on your experiences there? Well, I think like every author, my first novel was very autobiographical. So the the specifics of the school and the rules and, the, and just how it was in the early 60s, which was pretty ridiculous and made a funny story, mm-hmm. you know, the awful food and everything, that was all true. But I changed my age, so that made, helped me to really fictionalize it. So I I made I wrote about an eleven and twelve year old character instead of a teenager, right? And so uh, it was partly true. But if, I think of all my books, it has the most real details in it. Yeah, there's I mean, one of your books, and and I I I read I read all of them growing up and and loved them. But there was one book that I kept on going back to, and I'm not sure why. But as a result of that, I kind of want to ask you where you got the idea from, and that book is a handful of time. Mm-hmm. Where did you get the idea for that book? Even to this day, I, you know, I'm, I'm 27. <laughs> I reread it last year again. I don't know what keeps me going back to that that book, but for some reason, I do. Well, that's great that you do. Um, it was my second book, and like my first, it started off being very autobiographical. So we had a summer cottage on Lake Wabaman outside of Edmonton, and I loved it there. But I also had an experience when I was 13 of going to visit a lake in Muskoka where the kids were really mean to me. Uh-huh. And I was very shy, like Patricia. So it started off just being that, and it was getting really boring. And then I, one night I noticed this. Um, I had been wearing my grandmother's watch, gold watch, as a necklace on a chain. And it just came to me that I could turn it into a fantasy and do a time travel. And that was very good for me as a writer. It got me away from being so autobiographical and more into fiction. And then it was, then it just went really easily. And I love time travel novels myself. Uh-huh. So it was really, it was really fun to work out the mechanics of how it would work because time travel has to seem really logical at the time. Right. How have kids reacted to your different books? Because they've all been quite different to a large degree, too, right? There's the the daring game, a handful of time, as you say, is just time travel. Then you have uh, the, the the series about the the guests of war, which are incredibly well researched, and then Awake and Dreaming, which is an, conceptually an, an entirely different book all its own. Which ones do you find that kids have responded to with the most enthusiasm, or do you have a different audience for each? I think I basically have the same audience, which seems to be. Um, girls about 
nine to twelve, and some boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, interestingly enough, I, I they, I've kept my audience, so I now have a lot of young women who write about my books in their blogs, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, my last two books, the, the Whole Truth and Nothing But the Truth, which are set on the Gulf Islands in the thirties, seem to have a slightly older audience, um, probably because the second book is um, has an older content. I'm trying not to give it away, but has older content. Um, boys seem to like the World War II ones, of course, which is stereotyping boys, but uh-huh. that seems to be the case. Um, I think that some, maybe, probably kids who like fantasy for like a handful of time and awaken dreaming the most, but it's it's hard to tell. Um, certainly a handful of time and awaken dreaming and the sky is falling are the three most popular the least popular is A Perfect Gentle Night, which is interesting, and that's the only one that's based on my childhood right. in the 1950s. So I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> oh, it's very interesting. On, like, on your website, you recommend a bunch of books that you enjoyed growing up with. But besides Ella Montgomery, who would you say your greatest literary influences are? Because you've said, and, and other writers have said, that if you want to be a good writer, you have to read and you have to read incessantly. Mm-hmm. So who would you say that you've read that you can discern the impact in your own writing the way you write? Oh, so Too many. In fact, I really worry because I read so much as a child that I'm just imitating somebody, certainly Ellen Montgomery. Right. Um, that in my last two books, it's a girl who comes to an island and is healed. And I'm, I was so conscious that that was like Anne of Green Gables mm-hmm. and Emily of New Moon that I almost thanked Ellen Montgomery in the introduction <laughs> and uh, I kind of wish I had um, oh E. Nesbitt who wrote a lot of fantasy, Arthur Ransom C.S. Lewis Edward Eager uh, oh I just on and on um, the the borrowers books, the, the secret garden the A Little Princess I just so many and probably even the bad books I read, like the Bobsy Twins and the Happy Hollisters and all those family stories, right. because I do write a lot of family stories. Right, and those were more one of my themes. More, those were were more more produced books, almost the Stratmeyer syndicate. Yes, they were. But somebody pointed out that the family in Awakened Dreaming, the perfect family that I create, the impossibly perfect family, is a lot like the Bobsy Twins, and that's true. Right. <laughs> so that, that that amused me. What do you think one of the big challenges of being a Canadian writer are? Do you find that that people on on both sides of the border read your books? Because while the the setting is specific, I would argue that that a lot of the stories would would transcend nationality. Um, I haven't done very well in in the United States, um, and my books are published in quite a few countries. And the only country I've done fairly well in is the Netherlands. Uh, The Sky is Falling won an award there, and got quite a lot of attention. Um, I think it, when you get published in the States, and this isn't, some Canadian writers do do very well, mm-hmm. but there's so many books that I think if you're, if you don't, if you want, if maybe if you just aren't particularly different or original, it, they just get lost in the sea of books there. And I actually haven't had any books published in the States for quite a few years. And my books... This, the World War II ones did fairly well in Britain for a while, but then they petered out. And that leads me like right in, into my next question, which is how hard is it 
to get published as a children's author. You and a number of others have said that it's actually far more difficult to write children's literature than one might think. Um, and, and you've written before that you got turned down by two publishers first, and I've, I've heard that story from other writers as well. Is it quite a, a difficult thing, and, and do you just need to uh, follow a certain formula or, or just find a publisher who reads your book and believes in it? Well, you cert- I certainly don't advise anyone following a formula, you mean mm-hmm. in, in writing the books. You should just write the best book you can. Mm-hmm. It's far harder now to get published than it was when I was starting because when I was starting and I got taken up by Penguin, I think the only they had only done Jean Little in Canada and they were actually looking for writers. So I was very, very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Now I would say you, you need an agent and I do have an agent now, but to get started and it's just hard for any writer to get published right and so it's you have to really really love doing it because yeah. it is not an easy profession so how, how do you go about doing things so what does what your average day as a writer look like so if a reader was reading your book and wanted to imagine you actually writing the book how would that look <laughs> well i'm i i'm at my desk by nine because it's amazing, even though I love to do it, how I can procrastinate. Mm-hmm. So I make myself sit down at nine, and once I sit down, I'm fine. And I only write about three or four hours a day, but it's very concentrated, and it's always in the morning. Once in a while, I'll go back in the afternoon, but not too often. And that's it. Um, it's it's not good for your back or your hands because you're just sitting there and your eyes. I mean, it's so concentrated, mm-hmm. and I I hardly even get up, but... Um, that's my my partner's an artist, so our mornings during the week are very productive because I'm up here writing and she's downstairs painting and and then we meet at lunch and uh-huh. it's quite wonderful. But then the rest of the day is totally chaotic. Right. <laughs> so um, and I don't write on the weekends. So and I also take many breaks right. you know, between books. Or right now. When it, once the book goes into production, like right now, I'm just waiting for the copy edits of my new book, so I won't, mm-hmm. I'm not really, and I'm supposed to be starting my latest book, and then I'm supposed to be starting my new book, but I don't seem to be doing that at the moment, so I'm also a great procrastinator. Have you ever received a, a review on one of your books that was, you know, just awful and, you know, kind of made you want to throw a newspaper across the room? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, not. I think the worst one was in... In the, an American review of a handful of time, which said it wasn't very good science fiction, right. and it wasn't intended to be science fiction, so <laughs> that, that was just ridiculous. But most reviews, if they're really bad and they're not true, then you just disregard them. It's the ones that where they are critical and you realize that they're true that think, oh, oh, maybe I better take notice of that. And have you ever second-guessed your ideas? Because both A Handful of Time and Awakened Dreaming are sort of are sort of very interesting concepts. I believe one of the only other Canadian time travel books I've come across is is Three Against Time, about you know old-time Barkerville. So well, there's quite a few Canadian time travel books, but and they're all and they're, in fact there were two published the same year, The Doll by Cora Taylor and oh, I've forgotten the other one, but they're both about a girl going back to her. Mother and grandmother's past. Okay. So, but seven second guess. You mean I don't understand what you mean by that? Well, concept, conceptually, like you, you come up with this idea. You know, you work it all out. Do you ever ever second guess the concept? Wonder if it works. You know, kind of worry about how it's going to be received. 
I no, I I wouldn't be able to write if I thought about reviews at all. Right. I, I don't think of my audience. I don't think of reviews. I just try to write the best book I can. The one final question is sort of over to you. What would you want your readers to know about your books and how you write them? That's interesting. Um, I think I, I I think what I love about writing is when I was a child I made things up all the time mm-hmm. and you I and like the kids in a perfect gentle night I was always pretending something and that's exactly what you're doing as a writer. It's a wonderful you're you're in this other world and when I come out of it about twelve or one it's I sort of look around and think, Where have I been? Mm-hmm. But it's just it's just a wonderful experience to be completely immersed in another character in another time in another setting and and to be it just feels like a privilege to be able to make these things up. And then of course it's also very frustrating because you can't do it the way you imagined you could and it's never as good as you hoped it would be. So then you have to try to keep improving it, improving it and writing many drafts. But especially that first draft, it's so magical. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, you're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Canadian author Kit Pearson speaking to me from uh, Victoria, Vancouver Island, British Columbia, talking to us a bit about how she does her writing, how she comes up with the stories that she does, and why she thinks her books uh, are what they are. So thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week to listen to another interview with another author, and that will be the hilarious children's author, Gordon Corman. So thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week.